are on the last sermon of this sermon series, Life on Mission. It's been nine weeks of a journey of living, learning to live what it means to be learning to live like a disciple of Jesus. That's what I meant to say. Uh, nine weeks, and uh, it's been a heck of a journey, and it's been encouraging to hear from so many of you about how this sermon series has uh, change the way you think, the change the way you see the world, the change the way you are living, and the way that you're taking steps of faith and you're doing things you've never done before and trusting Jesus in it. And uh, I just love hearing about it. I love experiencing that with you. Um, and for those of you guys that are new, uh, we want to get you caught up. Just a recap. Uh, this sermon series has, has been started with um, what does it mean to be a disciple? Because we all need to see what God's word says about that and be unified in that. Because when there's unity, there's clarity. When there's clarity, there's action that Jesus calls us into. And so this passage we've been talking about every single week to start is Matthew 4:19. What is a disciple? A disciple is found in Jesus' invitation to his disciples when he says, come and follow me and I will make you into a fisher of men or a fisher of people. And so for all of us at Real Life, we've been starting at that starting point. What is a disciple? And we find the definition of a disciple in this passage of Matthew 4, 19. And so I want to put you guys on the spot this morning because I've been giving you guys the definition every single week. And we're going to find out how well you are listening or how well my preaching is or a combination of the bull of both of them on what a definition of a disciple is that we find from Matthew 4, 19. So fill in the blank with me, okay? A disciple of Jesus that we find from Matthew 4, 19 is someone who is following Jesus good job who is being changed by Jesus good and is on mission with Jesus or committed to the mission of Jesus absolutely and it's found in there isn't it come follow me and Jesus says if you choose to follow me I'm gonna make you into meaning he's going to change you and the end results of that being changed is you're gonna look more like Jesus and you're gonna be committed to Jesus mission that you're gonna fish for people and so for us at Real Life Ministries, that's the definition of a disciple. Following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Which leads us to this next slide that we've been looking at every single week. That when we come to church, we're not just coming to church and checking our box and then living apart from Jesus the rest of the week. We live in relationship with Jesus. We're called to have a relationship with Jesus, to abide with Jesus. To, he's spoken to us through his written word. And as he speaks to us, we also speak to him through prayer and conversation, uh, through interactions and experiences where we experience him, not only through his word, but through people. And we're called to have a relationship with Jesus. And as we have a relationship with Jesus, he goes with us into our relational spheres. He goes with us with the church body, with the community. He's with us in that place. And as we join in the family of God and the church family, we're, we're equipped for mission. The church is not a building. It is his people. So you are the church. And as we connect in a real relationship, which is what we're called to, to be real with one another, to be honest, to be transparent, to be vulnerable, not to live a life of hiding, of performing, but to be real with Jesus and real with one another, we begin to experience his church. And Jesus begins to equip us for mission. You see, Jesus didn't save you from something. He saved you for something. And so as you continue to follow Jesus, he's going to reveal more of himself to you. He's going to change you, and he's going to actually call you to be a disciple on mission for something. There's lots of different ways that gets played out. But in addition to that, he goes with you into your home. He goes, into you, goes with you into your marriage. 
He calls you to be a disciple who makes disciples with your children. He calls you to impress his commands onto their heart. As you walk along the road, as you rise up and as you sit down, you're called to disciple your kids. You're called to disciple your spouse. And for some of you, that's difficult because some of you are following Jesus and your spouse doesn't know Jesus, hasn't chosen to follow Jesus. But God's word gives us clear commands as to what that looks like, how to do that. And the church helps equip you with that. But Jesus also goes with us into our community. He goes with us into our work. He goes with us into our neighborhoods. He goes with us into our kids' sports teams. He goes with us wherever we go. And so what does it look like to live a life on mission with him? And we've been actually talking about the community the last couple weeks. Well, what does it mean to, to be a disciple in our work? What does it mean to be a disciple in our communities, in our neighborhoods, as we talked about last week? Now, this is what I know. Whenever we do something new that we've never done before, there's always nerves attached to it. There's always a nervousness of stepping out. When you come to church for the first time, there's nerves attached to it. When you, when you have a child for the first time, there's nerves attached to that. When you choose to be a disciple that's gonna take seriously your faith and then you actually are trying on living a life on mission with Jesus and when you feel the call to share your faith with someone, there's nerves that go on inside of you because anytime time you do something new, there's all these things you're wrestling with. What if I mess it up? What if I blow it? What if I make a mistake? What if it goes bad? How do, how, what happens if they receive me? If they don't receive me? All these different things that go on with inside of us. And when it comes to sharing our faith, I know that that's a real reality. That not only are we nervous, but also in addition that it's scary. The reality of it is, is the majority of Christians in America go their whole life without ever actually sharing their faith. Did you know that? Majority of Christians go their whole life without ever sharing their faith and ever leading someone to know Jesus. They say over 93% of Christians, don't you think about that? Never share their faith and never lead someone to a life-saving relationship with Jesus. How do we move past that? How do we move into the, the calling that Jesus is actually called every single person in this room that claims to be a follower of Jesus. How do we move beyond that? Here's what I do know. Is if we're gonna move beyond that, we have to move to a place of understanding who we are, what identity God has given you. Because when you understand, when we understand that God gives us an identity as he calls us on mission, the mission doesn't just become a task we must do, but instead a mission we must accomplish. And that is two different perspectives to think about. Well, I got to share my faith, task to be done, or a calling and identity to be lived out of. And the Bible gives us lots of images, lots of metaphors, lots of, of ways to describe what it is that we've actually been invited into and how God describes you and how he sees you and the metaphors that God uses to actually describe you and describe us. What are those metaphors? And what is that identity? If we're going to be his church, living a life on mission, we have to understand what we're actually invited into because it changes it changes what we actually do how we see ourselves and how we behave what is that thing well we've got to start from the beginning because in the beginning we actually begin to see metaphors that jesus is describing about his people about who they are about how he sees them and what he's actually inviting us into and it's found in genesis chapter 12 there's a guy named Abraham, and in this passage, his name is Abram. Everybody say Abraham for me. Eventually, he gets changed to Abraham, but in this story, it's Abram. 
And in Abram, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, it says this, the Lord had said to Abram, Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So, so check that. He, he says, Abram, I want you to go, and eventually I'll show you where that's at. So the first thing you'd be asking is like, where do you want me to go? And God's like, I'll show you, but I want you to get up and go. And so then it goes on to say, I will make you into a great, what's it say? A great what? Nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What's the word that keeps popping up over and over and over again? Blessed, right? Before we get there, I want you to notice. He says to Abram, go. And if you're willing to go, I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to make you into a great, what's he say? A great nation right from the very get-go we've got an image a picture a metaphor god says this is going to become reality but you are going to be a great nation that god's people are called to be a nation a people that surrender themselves to authority a people that surrender themselves to laws a people that surrender themselves to what god calls them to and out of that you're going to be blessed but you're not just going to be blessed you're also going to be a blessing god's people are called to be a people a group of people that are blessed to be a blessing what other identity does god use to describe you what metaphors does god use to describe us as his people as his church we're going to bounce around quite a bit today more than we normally do but I want you to look at these passages. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Consequently, Paul writes thousands of years later, he writes and he's describing the church. He says, consequently, you are no longer, you're no longer foreigners and you're no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his, what's it say next? His, his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What metaphors do we see? Lots of them, actually. Lots of pictures that, that Paul's using to describe his church. Now, a citizens, which citizens then make up what? Usually a what? a city or a community and in revelation we talk about this new city that's being built paul uses the word uh, city um, a building he describes he later says a temple a dwelling where his spirit can reside which dwelling usually infers a vessel which paul uses later on in the new testament the word a vessel all these metaphors but the one i want to focus on today that's really really important that i didn't mention yet did you catch it which one did i not mention that I read the household everybody say household the household of God also known as the family of God God describes you describes his people as the household of God the, the family of God he goes on to say in Hebrews for every house is built by someone but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house and 
We, everybody say we. We. We are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Every single one of us make up the household of God, the family of God. This is the identity that God has chosen to give us, that we are a family. Jesus describes it this way in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, here's the context. Rich man comes, says, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, sell everything, and then you can follow me. And he goes away happy? No. Goes away what? Sad, discouraged. And then the disciples are like, well, if that dude can't make it, who can make it into the kingdom of God? Peter asked that question. We've left everything to follow you. We've left everything, Jesus. Like, we, we've dropped everything. Can we become a part of the kingdom of God? And then Jesus says this. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields. So we get the rest of it. Mother, father, sister, brother. They've left that. Fields. What are fields? If you have fields in the first century, what do you got? If you've left all of that, all of that, or fields, you've left all that for me. You've left family, you've left money, you've left possessions for me and the gospel. He says this, none of you will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and in addition to that, persecutions you follow Jesus you will get persecuted and in the age to come eventually eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last will be first what's Jesus saying what Jesus is saying is for any of you that claim to be a follower of Jesus and you choose to leave your family you choose to leave your possessions you choose to leave everything for the gospel which you will you will lose family members when you follow Jesus You'll have people that will reject you. Your, your, your blood will reject you. Not all, but some of you. You will lose that. But what does Jesus say? That you will receive how many more times? 100 times. And then what does he say? Brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children. What's he saying? The church, my people, are now your family they will be the ones that walk beside you in your life's most difficult times in the midst of your persecutions you will receive brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children you will receive God's family his household when you choose to follow him yes will you lose it yes but you will gain you will gain for some of you you're thinking about following Jesus but you're afraid because you're going to lose your family and Jesus is saying to you, yes, you're going to lose family, but you're going to gain family. You're going to gain family. You're going to gain the household of God that'll love you, walk beside you, encourage you. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 3, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in, there it is again, God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. You see, God's people, 
his church is described as a household to help us understand how the church is to function. That we're called to be a family. Jesus calls us to be a family that actually blesses the world. Now, here's the problem. Some of you are coming in here this morning and the word family, as soon as it hits you, hits you sideways because it's got bunch of negative memories bunch of painful memories where you're like my family was horrible so to talk about the church being a family you're like i I can't even connect that are you with me this morning some of you had a good family but then you got into the church family and you're like i thought this family was supposed to be loving i thought this family was gonna be kind i thought this family was supposed to be graceful i thought this family wasn't gonna hurt me but the church family has hurt you and you're going i don't even know if i can call the church that because the church is supposed to be a family but I haven't experienced family I've experienced the opposite of family here's the thing the last I've been keeping count the last six weeks the last six weeks straight there's been someone that has like made a, a beeline to me after church after the sermon after service and it's been something heavy with their own family hurting them and the hurt that they're experiencing or people coming and going I want to give Jesus a shot with his church I haven't given up on Jesus but I want to give up on his church but I've got this hurt I've got this hang up I've got this thing that took place I've got this baggage that I'm carrying when I come into this place now I don't know if you guys have noticed we've been through a lot of pain over the last year and a half right And the the temptation is for us to just sit in the pain and stew in the pain. But here's what we've got to realize. Yes, we are hurt in relationship. You've heard me say this a hundred times. We're hurt in in relationship, but what are we also with relationship? We're what? We're healed in relationships. And if you come this morning and your family's hurting, you've come this morning and you're, you're mad at the church and you're struggling to trust the church again, here's the thing. You have a choice right now. Right now. You can choose to just sit in it and you will develop a root of bitterness. You will. And I'm not here to marginalize your pain. I'm here to listen to your pain. I'm here to process your pain with you. But what Jesus is inviting you into is would you be willing to have hope again? Maybe. Hope again. By being real. By being transparent. By being vulnerable. By continuing to process with other people that will love you and encourage you and love you and be patient with you and walk beside you and call you when, when, when there's that moment where you're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. They can lovingly speak the truth in love to you. By saying, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. It's time to forgive. And in that moment, you can make a choice. Right? When someone speaks the truth in love with me, I, I gotta go, mm, I know that's true, but I don't like it. Or you can say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean into the truth because I know this person loves me is encouraging me and I know I'm supposed to be a part of the family of God and here's the thing you need to realize 
A lot of times people make mistakes doing that. Learning how to love, learning how to, how to walk beside, speak the truth in love. Because here's the thing. Uh, Jesus' church, we, Real Life Ministries, churches and church of God, we are not perfect. We're going to mess that up. Disciple maker in my life, you know, he's like, don't ever join the perfect church, Justin, because you'll mess it up, right? You'll mess it up. We will mess it up. But here's what makes the difference. Here's what's different from Jesus' church versus anything else in the world is an undeniable, an, a relentless pursuit of relationship. That there is nothing, there is nothing that can't be worked through. There's nothing, there's no conflict that's too big that Jesus' people can't work through. A fight for relationship, a fight for oneness, a willingness to hear one another, fight for one another, ask for forgiveness over and over and over and over again. That's the family of God. That's the church. And that's what Jesus is calling us to be. People that learn how to do family well. That learn and remember that they've been blessed to be a blessing because they're a part of the family of God. It requires us to engage. It requires us to risk over and over and over again. And the reason why we do it is because someone was like that for you. Jesus relentlessly pursued you even when you were a pain in the butt or are a pain in the butt currently because it depends on the day, right? But I want you to think about not only Jesus, but who was that person that was first a blessing to you? Who was that person that was the first blessing to you, the first person that loved you, the first person that listened to you, the first person that invited you to church, that invited you to home group, the first person that invited you to be a part of a family, the first person that shared a meal with you, that listened to you, that, that served you and laid their life down for you? Who was that first person that introduced you to Jesus, that was showing you the gospel even before they shared the gospel with you? You've got that person in your head, right? I want to hear the name. Who was that person? Sheila. Sheila. I heard another one. Jeff. Jeff. Andy. My mom and dad. Yeah. Who else? Aaron. Who else? Kristen. All right. Everybody get your phone out. Whoever that person is. Get your phone out. If you're not getting your phone out, that means uh, you don't have someone, right? Maybe that someone's in the room. I want you to text them right now. I want you to say, thank you for blessing me and showing me Jesus and his church. Thank you. Thank you for being my first person, the first person that blessed me and showed me the family of God, that showed me his church. They were your one. But do you remember the start of the Bible? Abram was blessed to just receive the blessing for himself and just do that? No. He's blessed 
to then what? Be a blessing. So what does it look like to be a blessing in our community? This is what it looks like. We've been using this acronym for a couple years now. And here's the acronym. Blessing means start, we begin with prayer. We talked about this last week in our neighborhood, right? Would you be willing to get to know your neighbors by name and start praying for them? Would you be willing to start praying for your kids' as teachers? Would you be willing to start praying for your kids' as coaches? Would you be willing to start praying for your neighbors, your coworkers, your church family? Would you begin to start praying for people that Jesus is calling on you to pray for? People that maybe Jesus is inviting you to bless. Would you not only pray for them, would you be willing to listen to them? Not listen to respond, but listen to understand, because there is a difference. Husbands, there is a difference. And if you don't know, your wife's probably told you this before. You're not listening to me. Yes, I am, right? No, I don't want you to respond. I want you to understand. Understand what I'm saying. Listen to people. Now, I love small talk. I, I could ask people question after question after question. That's just how I'm made. You got other people like my wife, they're like, I hate small talk. And if you're here this morning, you're not the only one, okay? Other people hate small talk. Because then you ask one question, they answer the question, you're like, well, what's the next question? Especially when you ask them a closed question, they go yes or no. And you're like, okay, that didn't go as long as I thought it was going to go. What's the next question I ask, right? And the introverts in the room, like, I hate small talk. It's okay to hate small talk. Lean into it. Because here's the thing. Small talk leads to greater conversation. And I talked about this last week. It leads to asking this question. How are you really doing? You may be the only person in their life that actually asks them that question. How are you really doing? And it can change someone's life. Because you're blessed to be a blessing. Not just listen to them. Would you be willing to eat with them? Would you be willing to eat with people? Would you be willing to welcome people into your home, which is a vulnerable thing to do, to come to my table? And guess what? I believe people are craving it right now. Because we've been isolated for 18 months. Would you be willing to bless someone and invite them into your home? And maybe the circumstance doesn't allow you to do that. Let me tell you this. Another way to bless people with food is to go and give them a meal. Food, eating meals together. Man, not only do you get fed physically, full physically, but you get fed spiritually when you have a meal with someone. And you have no idea what kind of blessing you may be when you drop a meal off to someone who is battling cancer, who is battling COVID, that is battling sickness, flu, that is having their firstborn and their new parents, and they don't have a clue as to what they're doing, and they know it. One less thing they have to worry about, dinner. When you do a meal for someone, it changes their life. Because even though you may know on the surface that something that's very big, an accident, sickness, you realize all the other stuff they're probably having to navigate that doesn't get brought to the surface. I've had people reach out to me and like, I don't know any of these people. I don't even go to your church and they're bringing me meals 
And I go, yep. You want to know why? Because we're a family. We're the household of God. Guys, there are people moving here from out of state, and they don't have anybody. There's people that are moving here that have zero family. I don't know what that's like. I lived here my entire life. I have no idea what it'd be like to move to another state and be like, ooh, I don't have any friends. I don't even know what that's like. That's crazy is what that is. But when we step forward and say, come be a part of the family of God, the household of God, and we bless, it changes people's lives. To serve them. You see someone that's struggling and you hear an opportunity, go serve them. Because here's what's going to happen. Eventually, they're going to ask you, why do you do this? They're going to ask you, what are you doing on Sundays? You know, I'm going to church. I'm a Christian. I'm doing this because I've been blessed and I'm called to be a blessing. This is what it looks like to be the family of God. Because when we operate like that, what we're actually doing is we're actually showing the world what a real, healthy, functioning family looks like. Because a real functioning family, healthy family, prays for one another, talks to one another, listens to one another, eats together, serves one another, and shares their stories together. And fights too. Right? But do we fight for a relationship to love and to forgive over and over and over again? That's what the family of God does. That's what the house does. We get to be a blessing to our community and show them what it means to be a part of the family of God. And here's what's so cool is that when we understand that identity, what we talked about, we just live it out and we obey what Jesus is calling us to do. And we understand because that's who we are and that's what we do. This is what Jesus says about when we walk in obedience. In John chapter 15, he says this, my command is this, to, what's he say? To love each other. To love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus talking to his disciples, and the greater extension is to us as his disciples. Jesus doesn't say, you're just not my servants. No, you're my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. The father has blessed me, therefore I've blessed you. And as we learn from Jesus of what he's done for us, how can we not do for others what he's done for us? He's called us into his family. He's called us sons and daughters. He's called us his friends. And if he's called us that, we can call each other that. As we wrap up today, I want you to just to be thinking about your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, all that. And I just want you to start thinking about who is the one? Who's the one that Jesus is inviting you to bless? Who is the one that you're considering to invite into your life in a deeper way? And here's the thing. We've got a big meal coming up on Thursday, right? Make sure you thaw the turkey before you put it in the deep fryer, right? Don't need any YouTube videos going around. Don't need to be doing visitation, hospital visitation, right? Like, I want you guys to be safe, right? Some of you 
I don't like turkey. I'm doing ham. Whatever you're doing on Thursday, right? We know what it is. Who needs to be at your table? Who needs to be at your table that's going to be home probably alone? Who's the widow? Who's the single mom that's barely holding on? Who's the single guy? It's like, ah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm just going to be home. No, man. Family. Who's the person that's going to be on the outside, not around someone's table? Who's the family that has no family here? This is part of the reason why we quit doing Thanksgiving boxes as a church. Because they're like, we got tables in our living room, family room. I don't know about you, but my family comes over, we take up the whole house. <laughs> Too many of us. Invite them in. Invite them in. Bless them. Here's the thing. Some of you might be saying, man, I... I want to do this. I know this is right. I've got the knowledge of what I'm supposed to do. I just don't have the desire. Appreciate the honesty. Why is that? What's the desire? Why is there no desire? What's going on inside your heart? Would you be willing to go to Jesus with it? Some of you have the knowledge. Some of you have the desire, but you're like, man, I'm going from this to this to that to that that. that, that. You don't have the margin. Maybe you need to say no to something so you can say yes to Jesus and his kingdom. But you have been blessed to be a blessing. And I want to tell you, when you choose to live that out, nothing, nothing satisfies like Jesus and his mission. Nothing. And not only does nothing else satisfy like Jesus and his mission, I want to tell you there are some of you, and a lot of you actually, that are taking this seriously. And you're changing people's lives one person at a time. One person. So who's your one? As we get ready to go to communion, I just want to invite you to pray about that one person. That one person that you know Jesus is calling on you to bless. Would you pray for them? And pray for whatever next step it is that Jesus is calling you to do. Whether that's praying for them, listening, eating, serving, or maybe it's time for you to share your story with them. Spend time praying for that one person right now.